1: Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Klink. And I'm Troy Harkin. And this is our eighth episode. We're looking at Plan 9 from Outer Space, the 1959
2: film. Oh, I'm going to riff. Okay, well, basically, I just wanted to say, David, that as I was prepping for this show, in in all of the excitement of getting ready for Plan 9 from Outer Space, um, I, uh, I actually wanted to find a video that I've owned for a while called The 50 Worst Films of all time because Plan 9 has been called the worst film of all time. Um, and I found a video that I didn't even know I owned from 1989. It's called Alienator. I have a VHS copy, of them. that's what I'm holding right now, looking at the at the case. Uh, and the case says an Android hunter from outer space is about to create hell on Earth. Then there's a tagline underneath the alienator title, which is, In Deep Space, the Deadliest Animal is Still Woman, which I cannot believe ever got printed on a box, but uh, there you have it. Oh, and of course, it stars Jan Michael Vincent. Um, And it occurred to me when I saw this thing that, yes, there are probably people out there that think this is the worst movie ever made, and there are probably people out there who also... Think that it is the best movie ever made, or at least it's their favorite. And I think that's something we're going to come across as we get into the show is that art is subjective. Uh, some people love Plan Nine, and not because, it, in, or not in an ironic way. Anyway, that's my little ramble. Truly, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. There you go. There's my little riff. <laughs> Well,
1: Jan Michael Vincent, I think uh, we might all be of that age where we remember him from Airwolf. Um, uh, If you like helicopters (laughs) and you like probably uh, what may have been at the time pretty bad writing, you would have probably... Okay, no, I don't
2: know know Airwolf, but please tell me it's about a helicopter flying werewolf.
1: No, but it does have Ernest Borgnine. If you're a fan of Ernest Borgnine, he was one of the main characters uh in did it. you know that uh, ernest Borgnine? Not, go ahead yeah
2: ernest borgnine actually was a lichen throw it's true <laughs> <laughs> okay. well um
1: I'm not even sure how to respond to that other than the fact that I do want to continue what I was what I was beginning earlier yes. about my lawn furniture. that's being delivered. So I have some outdoor lawn furniture and that's how you know when you're in a relationship and it's real is when you actually both agree and purchase lawn furniture for your place. Yeah. So I'm having some lawn furniture delivered between 7 a.m. and noon. It's basically about 2.18 p.m. right now. So it's a bit overdue. So what will happen is if it does somehow, if that van appears and they they want to deliver this lawn furniture, I may extricate if I can even say that word. Uh, But this is all, of course in the future in the
2: future
1: but yeah so before all of this troy can you give us a spoiler alert
2: in the future there will be spoilers but in terms of plan nine i'm not really sure there's that much to spoil but you know be be aware
1: Uh, thanks, Troy. We're recording this session via Zoom. In the interest of transparency, Troy and Shendil know each other. Let's introduce our special guest. Uh, Shendil Minouk is a builds artist for animation and has been working in the TV and film industries for decades in various capacities, such as Described Video scriptwriter and Continuity and Spotting lists CCSL, to name just a few. Shandle is also the editor and co-founder of MrKitty.org, that's M-I-S-T-E-R-K-I-T-T-Y.org, which hosts some of the many uh, comics and graphic novels Shandle has created over the years, alongside humorous features such as found objects, which she showcases her vast collection of creepy, unappealing ceramic animal figurines and toys, and the popular Stupid Comics which provides in-depth commentary on, well, stupid comics. Welcome, Shandle.
3: Hello, how are you? Great to be here.
2: Yay, Shandle, good to have you here.
1: It is
3: uh, awesome to be here. Awesome to see you Yeah, thanks a lot, Shandle,
1: for awesome to see...
3: Oh, so it's awesome to see you through a tiny screen.
2: <laughs>
3: um. Better than nothing, I mean... <laughs>
2: I was saying that when we were first talking about, uh, doing plan nine and planning out uh, our first season, how I thought Shandel would be the perfect person for this, because, um, I mean, we, we both love things that are odd and different and that might be considered awful by other people or even awful by us. <laughs> and, um, uh, I definitely like one of my favorite memories of the 90s of what remind, what remains of my memories of the 90s is a night that uh, the two of us with our significant others at the time uh we we uh, had some uh some old videos and basically we were sort of riffing on them in the way that uh, mystery science 3000 uh has created a a whole industry out of um, and sometimes actually we would take a, a mic and line it into the VCR as a as a movie was live yeah, and just do our little our little riffs and fake voiceovers i think one of them was like a hercules film or something like that and another one that well we weren't actually riffing on in that way but um we rented uh, Orgy of the Dead, which is officially not an Ed Wood film. He wrote it. It's based on his novel um and it and it yeah, and it features uh Criswell and I don't know if that's actually Vampyra in it or, I don't think so. No, I think it's like a off I think it's like the Ben Affleck version of uh of Vampira
3: um, a <laughs> vampire.
2: And it was basically just an excuse for a burlesque where uh, these these fiends, these ghouls uh, watch striptease artists who are supposedly stripping in the afterlife, trying to uh, figure out if they're going to be placed basically in like heaven, hell, or purgatory. Orgy of the dead. Look for it if you can. Uh, anyway, that was a great night. And uh, I just thought you were a, a, a perfect person to have on for Plan 9, Shangel. So again, welcome.
3: Thank you. Thank you very much, and yeah, I remember that, that Troy,
1: in fact, I oh, you do. Anything that you want to add to it, perhaps?
3: Um, not really. Except I do recall adding in, uh, like like my hilarious uh, burlesque dancer voice.
2: Like,
3: <laughs> this is what I call my golden image. We something like
2: that. Um, yep, that's right.
3: It was funnier at the time.
2: <laughs> and there was I, I mean I know we were in a in a an audio medium but it was just hilarious too that every dancer had basically the one move, you know, the the, the move in the shoulders back and forth quickly and bending over. Like that, that, that was it. That was the uh that was the erotica. But
3: they had costumes that they took <laughs> off quickly.
2: That's right. <laughs> and, and they also had the girl, like the rip-off of uh, the golden girl from uh, the man with the, oh, no, yeah. no, was it that doctor, which, which bond had the golden people? Was that Goldfinger? Goldfinger, mustard and Goldfinger, right? right? Yeah. Which they ripped off in that. <laughs> I think the poor woman probably got some sort of blood poisoning from the paint. <laughs> but anyway. All right, David, where are we off to?
1: Uh, Well, I was just thinking, once you mentioned stripping in the afterlife, I thought that could be like uh, the the heading of the Troy Harkin story. But anyways, um, before we get into Plan 9 from Outer Space, um, Troy and I would like to know about your early genre loves and all-time faves. This is something we like to ask our guests. We want to know how you were first introduced to the speculative genre, whether it be the written word or its cinematic universe. Um, two old farts talk sci-fi is a look back to when we fell in love with the speculative genre to recall these times of fondness and affection i think roger ebert said it best when he said no good movie is too long and no bad movie is short enough Um, when we talk about speculative genre we were looking at things that could not happen in real life stories that have a speculative element like ghosts flying sausage middle earth remember that Uh, demonic uh, possession is nine-tenths of the law. Some horror is more psychological in nature, but we count this as speculative genre. There's often a twist. Chandel, what was your first speculative genre memory?
3: This is, um, because we're all about the same age, so you will recall when we were very young, um, space and superheroes was pretty much just part of the atmosphere. It was it was everywhere, so i it's really i hard to answer that question because I feel like it was like before I even had memories it the that speculative fiction was it, it's you know the sort of stories you tell children anyway um but I, I would have to say probably um yeah superheroes like Batman and Robin and Underdog were my first uh real memories of uh I guess you'd call it speculative fiction.
1: I loved Underdog. I'm so glad you said Underdog instead of Hercules, the cartoon that had Newton. Uh, um, no. <laughs> even though that would have been still a fair answer. Um, no, okay. Underdog was my uh, favorite. Uh, um, now, what we want to do is, um, oh, and I also wanted to just ask, it's maybe a similar answer because that was sort of your first genre memory was we'll count that as underdog and some of the superhero but what was the first speculative genre thing that you actually fell in love with and why? well
3: um that was more than likely uh starship troopers by robert Heinlein. i just came across it in in my uh my house i guess my brother had a copy of it i just started reading it it was about i was about 14 and um i just fell in love with it it was uh i don't it's hard to say why now. Um I really loved the uh the Mechanized Fighting Armor. Uh it was kind of weird. Like all of Heinlein's writing is a little strange. Um and I, I it just presented this kind of interesting world that certainly wasn't one that I wanted to live in, but it was pretty cool. Uh and also around the same time, that was around the same age that uh a TV show called Star Blazers started running uh that I absolutely loved. Uh, which was a a Japanese cartoon that was syndicated. And um, it just, uh, again, had a really exciting world.
1: Oh, thanks. I think I remember that. Um, What we'd like to do is to get into your all-time genre faves. Um, Here are some rapid-fire questions about your favorite genre things. We're just looking for titles, but if you feel the urge, you can expand a bit. We do wish to get to talking about Plan 9 from Outer Space soon. If Troy can ask these questions, that would be great.
2: Okay, Shandel. so what is your favorite genre movie?
3: Uh, Well, again, a Japanese cartoon called Macross, Do You Remember Love? Uh, Which was uh, a movie version of the TV show Macross, which you might remember if you saw Robotech.
2: How about your all-time favorite genre TV show?
3: Uh, That would be the uh, aforementioned Star Blazers.
2: Okay, uh, the answer to your next question does not have to come from your favorite genre TV show, according to my script. Can you tell us what is your favorite individual all-time genre TV episode?
3: It's hard to choose a favorite, but I think the Twilight Zone episode uh, called The Spur of the Moment. And again, that's, I, I could change my mind at any minute, but for now, that's, let's say that's my favorite episode.
2: Okay, how about your favorite genre novel?
3: Uh, starship troopers. Yep.
2: Uh how about a shorter work like a novella or short story?
3: Uh yeah, there's actually and again it's hard to choose but there's a Ray Bradbury story called The Lonely One which is more of a horror story but it's great.
2: And now we were wondering what your favorite or who your favorite genre author is.
3: That would unfortunately be Robert A Heinlein. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, do you have a favorite uh, genre, theme, or concept?
3: Um, well, as a generally, I like horror the best. Like that's my favorite genre. Uh, as a, a science fiction, speculative kind of thing goes, uh, space opera is my favorite.
2: Oh, very nice.
3: Undated and cheesy, but I love it.
2: Um, how about a, a favorite genre, theater production, or musical?
3: A uh, Little Shop of Horrors. I've never seen it live, but I saw the movie several times.
2: And this one I'm really looking forward to, as I know, uh, you know you've know, you got such an extensive background with comics. Uh, do you have a favorite comic book series or graphic novel?
3: Again, hard to choose, but for now I'm going to say uh, Mobile Police Pat Labor, which is a manga, uh, which is unfortunately these days it's about police, but they do quit at the end, so it's okay.
2: Yeah, I I just wanted to throw in, I mean, didn't your dad have, like, a really extensive uh, comic collection?
3: Yeah, I still have it, yeah.
2: That's amazing. Yeah, I remember you showing me some of them, like, the titles I just never heard of that, you know, from, my guess, the, some were Golden Era, weren't they? Silver Era, Golden Era, yeah. Wow. All right, what's your favorite genre poem, if you have one?
3: Well, I'm not too big of a poetry head, but I do love The Raven
2: the basic
3: bitch answer but i i do like that poem
2: all righty thanks very much no problem um
1: at that twilight zone episode uh because i i sometimes don't know the episodes just from the title can you tell me just a little bit about it so maybe i'll remember what the episode was about sure it's that's okay
3: spur of the moment it's it's a really strange episode um it it kind of has the same thing a lot of them do of uh trying to go back to your past to try to uh fix things and it being totally unsuccessful. It's about a, a young woman is horseback riding and she sees this uh like terrifying, like hag-like presence on a dark horse on a cliff above her who's screeching at her. And the young woman rides away terrified and then it turns into this this weird southern gothic story of she's rich and she wants to marry a downtrodden poet. Uh, and uh, then she does and then you flash forward to the future and guess who the uh, terrifying hag on the dark horse was it was her all along it's a very strange but it's it's um... okay no
2: thanks and I showed it to Shandle, too, because a couple of years ago, um, I was um, trying to keep up with a regular uh, WordPress uh, blog, and I was reviewing um, the Night Gallery. And so I didn't really have access to many episodes, but Shandle had the entire run on DVD. So I was able to borrow those and uh, watch them all, catch them up, enjoy them all, and then sort of do my countdown. So thanks again for that, Shandle.
3: Oh, no problem. I've actually, Comet TV runs, uh, not Night Gallery reruns, syndicated ones on uh, Fridays and Saturdays, so I, I like catching those. They, they show the really boring uh, Sixth Sense episodes alongside it. So.
2: <laughs> That's funny. I love, uh, there's a great little episode that I uh, had never seen before, which was with Carl Reiner as a, yeah, an instructor, yeah. and he's he's doing, um, basically he's running down all of the H.P. Lovecraft uh uh, mythos, and sort of in a, a half-hearted way, and the sky gets darker and darker. And uh, I won't spoil it, but it's a funny little uh yeah, segment. A lot of, a lot of Lovecraft love in that era, and also in the Night Gallery.
3: Oh yeah, 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 for sure.
2: Oh,
1: all right. Yeah, we're all Night Gallery fans and Twilight Zone fans. Uh, on to plan nine from outer space troy harkin will give some background set it in context before we get into a full discussion on it take it away troy
2: edward d wood was born on october 10th 1924 in poughkeepsie new york like the author h.p lovecraft his mother dressed the young boy in girls' clothing for years. Along with Wood's love of Angora, he also developed a passion for film. His parents gave him a movie camera, and his desire to make his own movies was born. Okay, enough for the Well, Wood served in the U.S. Marines during World War II, infamously wearing women's lingerie under his combat fatigues. Following the war, Wood moved to Hollywood to pursue his dream as a filmmaker. Although his talent was always clearly in question, the fact that he was amiable, enthusiastic, and driven was never up for a de- Up for debate. I almost said a date. He was always up for a date. <laughs> it, was, it was never up for a debate. Come on, clear your head. Wood always had the ability to draw others of questionable talent into his inner circle. I've gone back into Criswell, apparently. These associates would come to include the professional wrestler Tor Johnson, BDSM model and horror hostess Vampyra, celebrity psychic Criswell, and drag queen John Bunny Breckenridge. As an aside, Bunny Breckenridge who would play the leader in Plan 9 and was portrayed by Bill Murray in the Ed Wood biopic, was the inspiration for Gore Vidal's novel Myra Breckenridge. Breckinridge. Myra Breckinridge. And the film adaptation, which is also often mentioned as a candidate for the worst movie ever made. But the most important member of Wood's entourage of misfits was the quite elderly and ill universal horror legend Bella Lugosi. But Legosi and Wood became fast friends. Legosi gave Wood's films just enough star power to find funding, and Wood gave Legosi just enough money to support his drug habits. Prior to making Plan 9, Ed Wood directed his stunning debut film, the semi-autobiographical cross-dressing tale, Glenn or Glenda, in which he starred as the titular Angora-loving character. That was followed by the juvenile delinquent crime flick, Jailbait and Bride of the Monster featuring Bella Lugosi and Tor Johnson. On August 16, 1956, at the age of 73, Bella Lugosi died of a heart attack. Yet Ed Wood had some test footage he had shot of Lugosi for planned future projects, including The Ghoul Goes West and Dr. Acula. It occurred to Wood that though Bella may be gone, perhaps he could live on in his film grave robbers from space in 1956 wood wrote the screenplay grave robbers from outer space wood managed to convince his landlord j edward reynolds and his church the baptist church of beverly hills to produce the film as a way to raise money for a biblical movie based on the life of the apostles that the church hoped to make. After Wood agreed to be baptized, along with the bulk of his potential cast and crew, the Baptists agreed to finance the film, if Wood changed the name of the film from Grave Robbers from Outer Space, which they considered to be blasphemous, to Plan 9 from Outer Space. Wood agreed to the change, reluctantly. The film's storyline concerns extraterrestrials who seek to stop humanity from creating a doomsday weapon with solar benign that could destroy the universe. The aliens implement Plan 9 as a scheme to resurrect the Earth's dead, referred to as ghouls. By causing chaos, the aliens hope the crisis will force humanity to listen to them. Otherwise, the aliens will destroy mankind with armies of the undead. So, yes, the story was convoluted. But Plan 9's problems are everywhere. There's the cast, populated by Wood's friends, as well as the chiropractor subbing for the dead Lugosi, and ministers from the Baptist Church of Beverly Hills who figured they were putting up the coin for the film, why shouldn't they get to be in it? There were the -the over-the-top male aliens in silk tops, Breckenridge, and Manlove. Manlove, like, really, that's his name. There was... Criswell acting as a pontificating Greek chorus. Mostly, there was the horrendous dialogue. Yes, there was also the questionable Sunday school pageant sets and the science fair special effects, and yes, there was so much stock footage pilfered by Wood and inserted into his film, and all of these things are what make Plan 9 Plan 9. But just as Wood had a cast of loyal actors pitching in, he also had a crew that was not great, but spectacular... But just as Wood had a cast of loyal actors pitching in, he also had a crew that was not great, not spectacular, but competent. Shots are in focus, sets are passably lit, apertures and sound levels are consistent, unlike a truly awful film like Manos' The Hands of Fate. But when things get fishy technically, generally it's Wood's fault. As an editor, Wood's excitement often outweighed judicious decision-making. Frequently would intercut night footage with daytime footage or with atrocious day-for-night shots. If Tim Burton's film is to be believed, Ed Wood never shot a first take that he didn't love. Sometimes scenes appear to be shot with no coverage, and other times it seems there is no master shot at all. Plan 9 premiered at the Carlton Theater in March 1957. It was sold to television in 1961, where it lingered in late-night purgatory for years. In 1965, Ed Wood wrote the film Orgy of the Dead. It was a transitional film that led him from B-movies and horror films directly into grindhouse skin flicks of the 1970s. In addition to these porno films, Wood wrote over 80 novels. Wood died of a heart attack December 10, 1978 at the age of 54. But in 1980, Plan 9 was unearthed by author Michael Medved in his book, The Golden Turkey Awards, where it was named the worst film ever made. Tim Burton's 1994 biopic, Ed Wood, won Oscars for Martin Lando's portrayal of Bela Lugosi and for Rick Baker's makeup. Rotten Tomatoes says, the epitome of so bad it's good cinema, Plan 9 from Outer Space is unintentionally hilarious sci-fi thriller from... Anti genius Ed Wood, that is justly celebrated for its staggering ineptitude. The Encyclopedia of Science Fiction referred to Plan 9 as, quote, irrepressible budgetary ingenuity. Despite its reputation of being one of the worst movies ever made, Plan 9 is never placed in the IMDb bottom 100, a list compiled using average scores given by internet movie database users. It sometimes seems that ed wood was a man born at the wrong time his phenomenal output and diy attitude seems to make him a perfect candidate for the youtube and tiktok era on the other hand if ed wood existed today perhaps he would be immediately cancelled saint or sinner ed d wood was one of a kind Thanks
1: a lot, Troy, for giving that background on Plan 9 from Outer Space. Um, Shandell, can you tell us how you were first introduced to Plan 9 from Outer Space?
3: Sure. Um, I think it's probably a pretty common story. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I read about it in, as you mentioned, the Golden Turkey Awards and the worst movies ever made books uh, and it was, you know, at the time referred to as the worst movie ever made. But I think we can all agree that is absolutely not true at all. <laughs> there are way worse movies than Plan Nine. But uh, yeah, it was around high school age, as uh, I think the dawn of when people were discovering Ed Wood.
2: Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. I it wasn't until I saw Manos <laughs> yeah. oh, gosh. that 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 I realized, you, you know, you really have to put it in perspective right and because i mean there is a film where where uh shots are out of focus where uh you know there's clapper boards there's microphones there's uh camera edits with the camera rolling before the scene should start yet it's in the film yeah. all kinds of problems um and, and that is
3: just gross like yeah. nine is wholesome
2: <laughs> yeah is
3: yeah
2: it. and um Sorry, and I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, yeah, you know, there's there's other big budget movies that I've seen over the years. Certainly, like some Michael Bay films. they're, they're where,
3: terrible. Those are the worst. Like, have yeah. been so much money to be so bad. Like, what's worse, something that's bad at five hundred dollars, or something that's bad at five million dollars?
2: Right. And the thing <laughs> is, that's somebody who who made a film like they wanted to make the film so badly right. that it, they made it happen all on their own desire, basically. Also it's entertaining. Yeah. 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 You know, which Michael
3: like, uh, Bay movies to me at least are not in this list. There,
2: there are many films that you never want to see a second time, mm. you yeah. know, like, and you feel, or I know I can't sit through that again. Oh, you, yeah. you can pretty much always sit through plan nine, uh, you know, for one more viewing.
3: It's almost impossible to not sit through it. There are movies that I love that are hard to sit through more than once. Like, yeah. I try to watch Eraserhead once every 10 years, but it's tough. I think I'm, I'm, I'm done.
2: <laughs> You're done. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's funny that you mentioned Ed Wood, and I'm sorry that we're all, all of a sudden jumping into the free-for-all here, David, so corral us if you need to. <laughs> but um, after I saw Glen or Glenda, I realized there was a lot of comparison to be made to uh to lynch you know and and i realized that you know ed wood is no matter what you think of him an auteur you know like this is his story this is his vision and and he's the the director the writer the editor uh and in case of ed wood uh, not ed wood um um leonard Glenda, you know he's the star um and then those just sort of the weird elements that he throws in are so arthouse, yeah, you yeah. know, that you go, man, this is like, this is like what I would only describe as Lynchian, you know, <laughs> like there's mm-hmm. moments like, like where the devil is watching.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, you insane. Know? it's very much from the id. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When it, you talk about throwing money at a film or a film that doesn't um, do that well, one of the more famous examples is Waterworld, but it probably has some redeeming fi- features. I haven't watched it all the way through, and I've only watched like one minute of Battlefield Earth, uh, the movie that had John Travolta in it. Which <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I think that one would probably, I, I, it's not fair because I haven't seen it. But if I were to sit my ass in a chair, or someone would have to actually chain me to a, uh, a chair and then actually have my eyes open by those things that you see in horror movies where they make the eyes open um and then force myself to watch it then i would probably i can't really comment on because i haven't watched it yet but i can't imagine it being better than plan nine from outer space
2: no uh, and you know what i would much rather watch a film where there's like a chiropractor uh giving his best performance although he doesn't have to you know he doesn't really have any dialogue but basically you know your your um uh off, 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 off Broadway type of performers. I would rather see them giving it their all than like when I watched Transformers: Dark Side of the Moon. I was so depressed. I went because my like I went with my daughter, and it was also it was a double bill at the drive-in with a, a movie that I wanted to see. But I was so depressed seeing Francis McDormand, John Turturro, wow. and John Malkovich in this film that was so brain dead and you know y- you hear them say things like well I make those movies so I can afford to make the art movie but it's so depressing it's like it's like seeing um uh what's his name Anthony Weiner's dick pics you know it's <laughs> like I I don't want to I don't know I want I don't want to see that I don't want to see you do that Francis McDormand I respect you too much
3: right right an Oscar by using the bathroom in a bucket in a van. That's what it
2: <laughs> um,
3: I'm derailing things. I'm
1: sorry. No, no, no. It's it's better this way because and certainly I'm hoping that furniture will come at some point. But um, <laughs> you may have already answered this question in your response to the previous question. If so, please expand on it. But what was it about Plan 9 from Outer Space that made it sort of one of your favorites, if not a cult favorite?
3: Well, um, of course, it's funny. Because uh, there's all these amateurs doing it, and you know there's a few professionals involved in the production, but mostly amateurs, especially on the screen. Uh, so it's amusing. Uh, it has also kind of a low-level charm to it because of that. I think uh, it's not as personal as Glenn or Glenda, but uh, it is still, I think, very much part of Ed Wood's inner psyche. I think it's a good representation of this is what makes a good drive-in science fiction film. This is like, it's off kilter. It's like what someone who had cinema described to them would think was a good science fiction movie.
2: Yeah, you know, and it never really occurred to me until this week when I, I heard on a, uh, a podcast specifically about Plan 9, where they were saying, if, if you did the elevator pitch, like a basic elevator pitch of, of Plan 9, it's I mean, I don't mean this in some sort of offhand way, but it's a pretty original story because it's a uh, it's it's uh genre bending, right? Because it's it takes true. sci-fi elements and horror elements and That's brings true. them together um in a way that I don't think had been done before. Um and like if you just pitched that story, you could probably make a pretty kick-ass film.
3: It's true, yeah. Zombies, I just got zombies. Everyone loves zombies these days.
2: Yeah. It's Clay, all right. There's no mistaking
0: that. And he's got Mrs. Trent. Get your gun ready. From all I've seen tonight, guns won't do any good. Clay is dead, and we buried him. How are we going to kill somebody that's already dead? Dead! And yet there he stands!
2: Yeah, and now here's something that I wanted to throw in, too, because it it had come to my attention that, you know, I had not really picked up on this in all of the many times I'd seen it in the past. But it has that, that thread of conspiracy that certainly gets paid off in the x-files right but it, it really is almost like pitching that idea of the government knows that there's ufos out there and they don't they want to suppress it and i mean that's that's the entire x-files series really right
3: yeah.
2: i uh,
0: understand colonel you've been on tap for many of our saucer attacks i'm in charge of field operations sir you believe there are such things as flying saucers colonel yes sir you've seen them yes sir you realize there's a government directive stating that there is no such thing as a flying saucer yes sir you stand by your statement that you've seen flying saucers well uh
2: yes sir it's it's funny that wood was really into this and it was also i think goes into his uh, some of his philosophy, his anti-conformist philosophy that we get in Glenn or Glenda. Like he's saying, like, be who you are. He's saying basically what the Rocky Horror Picture Show is saying. Right. Right. I- um, and he's sort of trying to say the same thing in Plan 9. He's saying there's truths out there that are being suppressed. And again, I don't want to put too many words in Edward's mouth because, <laughs> I yeah, I think I, yeah, I would go afoul if I did that. But let me just say this. That um, in the news this week, um, we had, this is from, um, I took this from the internet last night, CTV, CTV news report on the Pentagon releasing UFO footage. The CTV report says, but the fact that the intelligence community released the unclassified document marks one of the first times the U.S. government has publicly acknowledged that these strange aerial sightings by Navy pilots and others are worthy of legitimate scrutiny. I think Ed Wood would be very happy.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, and they're referring to it. It's kind of neat, the different word, because we're so used to UFO for unidentified flying object. But they were using the term unidentified aerial phenomenon mm. or uh, UAP uh as their phrase because they <laughs> they didn't think that in some cases it was actually a flying object. In some cases they might be some reflection or something yeah. else or whatever it is, it's some sort of uh a phenomenon. Um I know that we did talk about this and we're talking about other worst films. And I don't think that when we certainly mentioned that we don't think this is the worst film of all time, but what were some of the the elements we want to get into a bit more detail about what makes this a terrible film?
3: What makes this a terrible film? Well, uh, doing only one take. That's a start. That's a start. Um, Actors who can barely speak, such as Tor. I uh, love Tor, but he can barely speak.
2: A big boy Johnny.
3: <laughs> he, he's weirdly cast. It's a strange casting choice, to say the least. Uh, the sets are not great. I would say every element of it makes it a bad movie. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but the yeah. casting was quite – like like with Tor Johnson. And when they had the, the Ed Wood film, they had George the Animal Steel. So they actually took a professional wrestler that had sort of that bulk and that kind of – and when I saw these scenes from the Ed Wood film, they made these characters look so much like the actors. And I always love that kind of um, thing where you've got people who look so much like – the, the 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 characters they're supposed to portray that you you believe it.
3: Oh yeah, that, that was incredible. The the casting in Ed Wood was um next level.
2: Yeah, there were a few times with Martin Lando where I forgot that it's not Bella.
3: I I honestly I transpose everyone in that cast with their actual real life counterparts all the time. Like I I don't know that I can separate the two at this point.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah. what was neat also is that uh, Juliet Landau, uh, who I remembered as Drusilla in the Buffy series, it turns out that the Ed Wood film was made in 94. Now, she became Drusilla on the Buffy series in 97, so three years later. But just looking at her and thinking, oh, that's Drusilla there. And she was the daughter uh, uh, um, of uh, Barbara Bain and Martin Landau. She was born in 65. And I think Barbara Bain and Martin Landau worked together on I think the Mission Impossible series, and certainly, of course, Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, um, where I sort of grew up with them. And I was always a Martin Landau fan from you know anything that I would see him, and uh, probably most notable is playing the, the the evil one of the evil guys in the North by Northwest. Um, but Martin Landau and Barry Morris and a number of these character actors, uh, people you know, would over time, just really like and, and love to follow their work. I think Martin Landau was also in, I don't know if it was in the X-Files series, but one of the X-Files movies, Um, uh, Martin Landau was a, a character in, in one of the movies, I think.
2: Uh, if not that the sounds series. sounds
1: right.
3: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe. I can't remember.
2: You know, it struck me uh, as odd that... Um, You've got films about people like Ed Wood and Tommy Wiseau and even the documentary about Mark Borshaw, who made uh, Coven, Um, that, you know, these films about these filmmakers have been celebrated and there seems to be an odd irony about that. You know, it's like, well, why can we share the wealth and the celebration with the films about them, but not so much with the actual articles?
3: yeah it's well, I guess the difference between a well made film and a poorly made <laughs> film
2: <laughs> it could be that it could be that Shane. what's <laughs> well,
1: well, all this happened it's all this happens to it's like they're just doing it you know it just happens, whether it's Tom Izo or it's Ed Wood jr. Mm-hmm. who happens to run into Bella Lugosi and then start, starts a friendship with him, and then he sees uh Um, the woman that plays Vampira and then eventually somehow he gets these people in his films where he's just throwing together with bailing wire he's almost like the MacGyver of films uh, where he's able to somehow create this uh, these films and somehow is able to get people to pay for them um, it's amazing what he was actually able to accomplish with such a small budget. It wasn't until, I guess, the Blair Witch Project, uh, which I don't know if I had mentioned before on the show, um, that cost like $50,000. And then Chris Rock in one of his comedy routines mentions that, that oh, I heard that that Blair Witch Project cost 50000 He wants to know what they did with the other $45,000. But um, with ed wood it's amazing what he was actually able to do with so little
2: yeah yeah, yeah. and and that's the thing i mean at least with the uh, blair witch they in terms of the production they realized that it was going to cost next to nothing and i do think that it was all post-production probably like forty five thousand dollars went into just uh the the promoting of that thing um yeah. but yeah you're you're right um so yeah, let's. I mean, let's let's take a couple of minutes to uh, just throw down and and talk about some of the other films that we think are uh, you know legitimate worst films that we've ever seen. And I'll I'll, I'll give you a couple quickly. Uh, Trolls yeah, two, ahead. and I'm a big fan of Trolls two, by the way, because like like Ed Wood, or I keep calling it Ed Wood, like Plan Nine. It's a really enjoyable film, but God, it's a bad, bad film. Yeah. Um, uh, of course, The Room, um, Manos, The Hands of Fate, we've touched on. But then there's the bigger budget ones, which really are the ones that drive me nuts because they tend to be tedious as well as you can laugh at them once and then it's like, God, I never want to see that piece of shit again. So here are the ones that I point fingers at. And and I just threw it in because it was the most recent one I could think of, David. We've talked a little bit about Wonder Woman 84 um, it's, and for me, it, that it starts off well, but it just turns into like the biggest piece of crap as a jacked. Oh, see you're okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll let you I'll let you respond to that in a sec, Cheryl. Then. I said Cheryl. My God, Shandle, I saw your screen. Anyway, you know what? I was thinking we should have done this as as a as a drunk episode. We should have done like drunk history with this one. We should have all been boozed up beforehand and just so I'll, I'll just call you Cheryl for the rest of the show. I was like, yeah, I'll, you can talk about it in a bit, Cheryl. Just hold your horses. Um <laughs> so Batman, Batman and Robin by Joel Schumacher, I would have to also throw in with uh godzilla matthew broderick the 1999 uh it didn't know what it wanted to be and i know the toho people totally disowned that film and you know i love me some stephen king but maximum overdrive a film that was made by by cocaine basically and uh yeah i've already mentioned transformers how about you guys and actually if if you cheryl if you want to talk about the wonder woman go ahead
3: it was a great movie i just didn't think it was as bad as ever i think if it, it had been like a third shorter it would have been fine
2: yeah and i also you know what i uh i think i was bitter that i dropped 30 dollars for the uh mm-hmm. the home rental or whatever it was um and uh yeah. Shorter. That's funny. Cause that reminds me of what David mentioned at the beginning. Cause there was some, what was that line, David, about um, no good movie is too long or something. And it's like, no, no, there's a lot of movies that are like 20 minutes too long, especially in the, in the era of two and a half hour superhero films.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, I was reminded of um, old TV guides Remember these from like the 70s and 80s and stuff like that? And what would happen is it would give a description and it would have a listed of number of stars. Like it'd have like one star, two okay. star, three stars, or four star. Every so often there would be a description of a film. There would be no stars. And in brackets, it would say turkey time. And you know that you were watching something that was really one of the worst films you could imagine. Uh-huh. So I remember this and I'd. Cl- I had clipped out this little description from a TV guide of a film called Dondi, D-O-N-D-I. Ooh, the strings of bell. Yeah, From like 1961 starred David Jansen. And the person writing up had this most amazing, I wish I had it here, the, the, the description of how bad it, bad the film was. Uh, yeah. So I was trying to find examples of where the uh, film is described as a turkey time.
2: Um, well, you have a look, David. I'm
1: busy, busy typing.
2: I just want yeah, to ask Shane a little quickly. Um, are you a fan of Spider Baby?
1: I've
3: only seen it once, but it's really good. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That's one too where you know I love it. And I think it's mentioned in the 50 worst films, but um, Those yeah, guys, it actually, reminded, yeah, it reminded yeah. Sorry, I should let you talk. I'll let you talk in a second. Then. Um, I just it, it again reminded me of like Eraserhead. <laughs> it was like, wow, this like looks like the same film stock and the same <laughs> lenses and everything. Um, <laughs> and again, it's entertaining. It's it's mm-hmm. really watchable.
3: It's a, it, I consider considered it a pretty well made film. I mean, it's weird, but yeah, it's it's a good movie. I think.
2: I happened to see on TCM a couple of years ago a double bill of uh, Spider Baby with the Baby, which. Oh, the, that I haven't seen. That's, that's weird.
0: What progress has been made? We contacted government officials. They refuse our existence. What plan will you follow now? Plan 9. It's been absolutely impossible to work through these Earth creatures. Their soul is too controlled. Plan 9. Ah, yes. Plan 9 deals with the resurrection of the dead. Long-distance electrode shot into the pineal pituitary glands of recent dead.
1: So what right. we've done is Troy and I have come up with what we believe were the first eight plans before Plan 9. Plan 9, of course, was to reanimate the dead and help them sort of take over the world or at least introduce people to the fact that these aliens are very powerful and therefore that the aliens would have um, be able to take over or be able to do what they want to do. And so, in fact, um, we believe so for the first eight plans.
2: I was going go to say, ahead. David, that that we do believe that uh, basically what we are about to uh, uh, go through will be released by the Pentagon tomorrow in all of their official documents.
1: Absolutely. So, Troy, would you like to start?
2: Uh, no, no, not at all.
1: Okay, so I will start with Plan One. Now, plan one from outer space, the aliens created a death ray, an actual spacefaring manta ray named Ray that had a laser beam attached to its forehead and across the cold, forbidding, heartless, empty depths of space in the future to wreak havoc on Earth. The reason that it did not work is that Ray, the death ray, met another death ray named Jay, and they decided to settle (laughs) down and get married.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that can happen. Uh, Would you like to hear plan two, David? Uh, Yes. Ah, yes. Plan two involved flying backwards around the world at super speeds until humans had regressed to a point where they were intelligent, but not technologically evolved and were easy to conquer. But the plan failed because the fuel expended during the backwards hyperburn only brought the spaceships to 1951. So there's, you know, that's the issue there.
1: Yeah, for some reason, I, you know, people like to say I like I love it when a plan comes together, but sometimes, you know, it takes nine plans before you can uh, actually accomplish something.
2: All righty, David, let's move on to Plan Three. Thanks, Troy. Plan
1: Three from outer space: the aliens promise to bring color TVs to every household. If the military accepts their existence and mankind agrees to do their bidding, the plan, the plan failed because they realize earthlings will become a bunch of couch potatoes just watching the fully chromatic boob tube all day. That's plan three,
2: Troy. All right. Oh, yes. Plan four. Plan 4 employed a method of asking nicely if the humans would mind terribly, if they could possibly be enslaved. The plan failed because the humans refused to capitulate. That's like the Canadian plan, Plan the Canadian aliens. Oh,
1: no. Yeah, they didn't have enough buy-in. But um, Plan 5 from outer space. Uh, Since plans 1 through 4... (laughs) Since plans one through four were not entirely successful, the aliens planned on creating the ultimate computer that would take over everything. This ultimate computer would replace man. So man would no longer need to die in space or on some alien world, but they could die on Earth on a couch wearing stretch pants, a pot belly spilling out, sticking their fingers, excluding thumb down the front of their pants when they sat down to relax a la Al Bundy. The I that love that. I love that the
2: work, aliens exactly. knew. Sorry, I, did, I love that the aliens knew about oh, Al know. Bundy. Like they just know it. They know it all. Sorry, go ahead. Why did this fail, David?
1: Well, we've been we we've, we've been broadcasting these kinds of things. I mean, they're not just getting the Hitler in the Munich Olympics back in nineteen thirty, whenever it was, um, nineteen thirty-six. They're getting all sorts of radio signals. So I think the aliens have even know that when Foz when Fonzie uh, jumped that shark. They've even received that video, so you never know what they might make of that. But the reason that this plan did not work is that the Ultimate Computer had impressed on it the memory engrams of a bricklayer who wanted to be a doctor, and the computer went around building buildings and saving people.
2: Goddamn computers. Ah, yes, Plan 6 from Outer Space. It utilized cryogenics to place the humans in a deep freeze and then transporting their frozen bodies to a holographic duplicate planet somewhere in the multiverse, leaving the Earth to us. That's, that's the aliens. Because I'm reading the actual document here. So just so you know, David and I are not aliens. Right, yeah. Yeah, but this, of course, failed, and the reason it failed uh, was that uh, funding fell through on the holographic duplicate planet, and funding is essential. Mm. Over to you, David.
1: Uh, plan 7. Yeah, yeah, Plan 7. Plan 7 from outer space. The aliens planned on spreading a virus through mice, 1,000 times worse than the Spanish flu and COVID-19, one worse even than the plague that begins a novel The Stand by Stephen King. The reason that this plan did not work is that the mice, well, how could that fail? Well, the reason that this plan did not work is that the mice were not going to do the work without proper compensation. So the mice formed a union and demanded a living wage and benefits and a pension plan. And the aliens were a bunch of cheap a-holes that did not care about the living conditions of mice on planet Earth. As they say, the best laid plans of aliens often go awry. That's true. That's true.
2: You know, you would, or I'm sure you would see more alien invasions. They just—I think maybe they're not just that great Mm -hmm. at the plans. I think they're good at the technology, but they need some more people in the creative sections. Anyway, here's Mm. the uh, the penultimate plan, Plan Eight. Plan Eight featured an army of fembots based on Victoria's Secret models with lycanthropic capabilities to battle the Earthlings. And it failed because Eros designed the fembots based on his own body. <laughs> and so we we know Plan 9, but, Shandel, do you have something to add to this cacophony of nonsense? Well, what would Plan B, Plan 10-B?
3: Plan B is a very good uh, drug, but Plan 10 would be, as it turns out, they actually went un did go through with plan 10 uh it turns out it was setting their spaceship on fire and it worked out well it was a roaring success and a happy ending for all
2: excellent well done well done thank you for for plan 10 they need their they need their happy ending
3: (laughs) we all need a happy
2: yeah that's, that's right
3: preferably uh legal
2: yeah exactly um So uh, as I look up, I see we would now like to do our dream casting and we would like to do our dream casting and we are going to do our dream casting. Um, But it occurred to me that this is the one film that is very problematic because if we were to be true to the production, there was nobody that we could list that would have a SAG card, a Screen Actors Guild card, because that would be sort of antithetical to an Ed Wood production. Uh, Who we have up first is Criswell, as he is the first person we see on camera. Um, Criswell is the narrator, and I suppose he plays himself. So uh, Then we have Jeff Trent. Uh, It's funny, a lot of these actors have names that sound like they could be character names, but (laughs) Jeff Trent was played by Gregory Walcott and as an aside there's a point in the film where some of the cops I think start saying the last name as Trench not Trent but then they revert back to Trent anyway Jeff Trent and his wife Paula Trent was played by Mona McKinnon uh David did you want to start with yours or should I give my first three
1: uh do you want to start with your first three
2: sure so I just need to, yeah, so Criswell. I had as um, Kelsey Grammer was my Ooh. was my Criswell. Of course, Kelsey is a fully accredited actor with the SAG card. So he may be not eligible, but that's who I'm going with. Kelsey Grammer as Criswell. Jeff Trent. And you're Jeff Trent? My Jeff Trent was Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne, the rock Johnson for a while there, as I was thinking about this, I got a little heavy handed with wrestlers. I wanted to have all like a ton of wrestlers in it. Cause I figured they would be sort of bad enough or over the top enough to, to fit an Ed Wood production. Um, and Paula Trent, see, I started to settle into almost like the, the ironic comedy version, which I'm a little bit, I wish I wasn't doing that, but I did. So I was thinking either Aubrey Plaza or Zoe Lister Jones as Paula Trent. And I'm going with Aubrey Plaza as, as Paula Trent. She'd be great. Yeah.
3: Um, well, um, for Criswell, I decided Scott Thompson of kids in the hall of fame. Uh, Nice. I believe he would give the panache the role deserves. Um, for Jeff, I thought long and hard about who could, uh, Really transfer the the dynamo charisma that uh, Wilcott had, and I decided on a department store mannequin. Um, and as for poetry, uh I thought of uh, scintillating '40s sultry scar- starlet Ava Gardner.
2: Oh, nice. <laughs>
3: You could just carry him around, you know?
2: Yeah. I like, I like that. She could do Jeff's lines too. Exactly. Like,
1: yeah.
2: yeah. Very good.
1: <laughs> Mr. It was almost like uh, you could have yeah.
2: done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Troy, with your wrestler thing, we could have actually picked just all wrestlers for the outside the box part. But anyway, so what I've got for all time, I've got Vincent Price. For Criswell narrator because of his first and and I actually chose where because some people have long careers so I actually picked the the either the movie or the TV show and the year so basically yeah. the hilarious House of Frankenstein version of yeah. Vincent Price where he's doing all that voiceover and that talking for Jeff Trent I picked uh, Boris Karloff from the Mummy oh uh, 1932 and that Ooh. sort of might be a shot against. Um, our um, Bella Lugosi, Lugosi, who was thinking about how much he didn't care for Bar- Boris Karloff, but I wasn't trying to do it in your face. I just thought Boris Karloff would be good in that role, and Barbara Steele, when from her role in the Pit and the Pendulum,
2: sweet baby Jesus, David, that is a that is a great list. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I already want to see this film now. Oh, and by the way, if we're keeping score, I've <laughs> got at least my first nice there for, for Shandles. I think it was the mannequin, which I, maybe I'll try to say awesome. Yeah, very good. Yeah. All righty. So up That would be next, awesome. Up next, we have the ruler, Eros, and Tana. So they, the aliens. Um. Yeah, I really had a hard time with Eros. I, I will give you one, and it just... But I will give you three that I considered. I had John Hamm. For
1: Erosa, the oh, ruler. Oh, sorry.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. For yes, let's find the ruler. The ruler. Um part of me originally wanted to do a Dick Van Dyke listing. And I I didn't, no, no, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But had I done a Dick Van Dyke listing, I would have had Carl Reiner as the ruler. Mm. Um but instead I went with Richard E. Grant oh. as as the ruler. Um, and this is, again, this is the version that wins Oscars, you know, um, is Eros. Again, I had a hard time with Eros because how do you out Eros, Eros? Um, that was uh, Dudley Manlove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dudley Man Love. How do you outdo that? Um, and I love the bells on Dudley Man Love's outfit. <laughs> I love the fact that that Eros ended up with the bells, on, <laughs> like the decorative bells on his uniform, and not and not uh, Tana. And I think that was a, a decision by Ed Wood again, yeah. thinking outside the box and being progressive. So anyway, so right, Eros, think Great. Yes, Eros, I know, and that little satiny mm-hmm. touch too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I had a th- almost a three-way tie. I, I had his semifinalists, John Hamm, Tony Shaloub, and Maury Amsterdam. Now, I'll give you one. I'll give you one, David, so you don't have to do them all. But I really was kind of liking Maury Amsterdam. And, in fact, I was going to go John Hamm, but I'm going to go Maury Amsterdam, goddammit. Maury Amsterdam from uh, Buddy from the uh, Dick Van Dyke show as Eros. Hey, in cool. his prime, from the Dick Van Dyke show. Well, I don't think that was his prime, likely, but, you know. (laughs) And Tana. Um, Again, I thought Rosemarie for a little bit. I thought Rosemarie would have been a great Tana opposite Maury Amsterdam. Uh, But I'm going to go with Leslie Jones. I just thought Leslie Jones would have some great facial uh, reactions to all the shit that's going down in this movie. And there's no way Maury Amsterdam is going to smack Leslie Jones. So I would like to see how that would play out. Anyway, that's, that's my three. What do you have, Shane?
3: Oh, okay. Well, for, for the ruler, I kind of cheated a bit uh, because I don't think he could get better than Bill Murray. Uh, Just uh, not going to improve on that role. Uh, Of course he would make everything better Uh, for Aero Santana. I kind of did a twofer, Uh, As it's uh, Patrick Wilson and uh, Vera Firmiga from The uh, Conjuring.
2: Oh, God, God, that is, that's genius. That is genius. (laughs) And Bill Murray acting opposite them. That's, that's fucking amazing.
3: Yeah, yeah, it would be awesome. Yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah,
1: we almost need to do a podcast just on The Conjuring and how good a film that what, one of the best horror films of
2: the last 20 years.
3: Love The Conjuring. Um, so, so, what
2: I've uh, and love, oh I love man, Patrick, it's Patrick. So it's Wilson, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm it's yeah, unfortunate yeah, it's about uh, Aquaman, is unfortunate, but what are you going to do about that? Um, by the way, Shandel, have you seen um, The Dead Don't Die, the Jarmish film with uh, Bill Murray as one of the leads? I, I don't
3: think I have seen that, no.
2: Okay, highly recommended to everybody listening and to David and, and Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's my burlesque stripper name. Oh.
2: <laughs> oh, the furniture may be here. The okay, furniture just hold may on be. A uh, is the
1: this furniture the furniture, furniture delivery? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I'm calling them right behind my schedule. I'm going to be at your house after five o'clock. Oh, after oh, yeah, after go. five is fine. Excellent. Okay, thanks a lot. Oh, ask them if they've seen Plan 9. Yeah, see you. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) Okay, guys, so that was the delivery uh, people for the excellent furniture. And it looks like they'll be delivering it after. Like they, It was supposed to be between 7 a.m. and 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday, June 26, which is when we're... Uh, recording this but because we're recording it at 2pm and I was wondering why you know I wanted to get out of the way before we did this I was hoping it wouldn't interrupt and I'm sure all of this will be cut out of the podcast just kidding of course it won't but it looks like the furniture will be delivered in the future
2: in the uh, future
1: 5pm so my yep. so my three people for the ruler Eros or Eros and Tana I have Christopher Lee for and it's weird because I know outside the box we want themes. So what I did was even all time I did pick, <laughs> I did pick a theme instead of just people from all over. I did pick like horror people who've been famous in horror films. So what I do is I pick Christopher Lee for the ruler, basically from his Lord of the Rings stuff, but he's done so much horror stuff over the years. Lon Chaney, and this isn't Lon Chaney Jr. This is the Lon Chaney from the twenties, okay. Phantom of the Opera for Eros, and I have Jamie Lee Curtis. From from when she was in Halloween in 1978
2: as Tana, fabulous. When you said Christopher Lee, for some reason I I thought Bruce Lee.
3: Very different people.
2: Yeah, very different. All righty. So where are we now? <laughs> we're, we're at our final three, right? I always love that story. Uh, whether for it's apocryphal... for the
1: Dreamcasting.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the Dreamcast. I... We
1: will do outside the box, but go ahead.
2: I just was going to say I love the apocryphal story about um, <laughs> the story about Burt Ward uh, claiming he could beat up Bruce Lee, which I always wonder if that sort of was part of the impetus for this, for this little scene in um, uh, what's it called? The Holly- <laughs> the Hollywood film <laughs> to live and die in Hollywood. Now, <laughs> what's it called? For God's sake, people help me.
3: The Green Hornet.
2: The Tarantino. Uh, no, the Tarantino Hollywood. Uh,
3: what's t- kind of time in Hollywood?
2: There we go. We're old farts. See, we really are.
3: I think that's the title.
2: Yeah, we'll go with that. I, I think that's right. I haven't not seen not it yet. yet. Plan nine from Hollywood. Yeah. Um, okay. it's definitely not to live and die in LA. Yeah. Uh, so we're now with Inspector Daniel Clay. I didn't know he had a first name. Very well done, David. Uh, and Vampyra, who plays Vampire Girl. <laughs> And the old man slash ghoul man. Um, Okay, so. Oh, sorry, sorry, Troy,
1: Troy, Troy. Um, One of the things that we didn't do was to mention who was actually in the film. Like, we should have done that out front of who was actually in these roles in the actual film. Because we just did the first three. The amazing Criswell, Gregory Walcott, and Mona McKinnon. Uh, as uh, the narrator and Jeff Trent and Paul Trent, but we didn't do who the ruler Eros and Tana were in the film and also Inspector Daniel Clay, Vampira and Old Man. So I don't know if you want to do that first. Okay. Just I'm quickly. Yeah. We Vampira. had uh, John
2: Bruckenridge as, as the ruler. We had Dudley Manlove <laughs> as Eros, of course. And it's funny. Cause yeah. They say, I believe Eros, but we know it's, it's Eros. Tana. <laughs> it was Jonah Lee. Um, Tor Johnson. Was Inspector David Clay, Daniel Clay, and uh, he's a big boy, Johnny. Um, Myla Nermy was Vampira, who was also Vampire Girl, and Bella Lugosi as the old man slash the ghoul man. Um, so here we go, that final section there. Inspector Daniel Clay. Um, I had two people in mind. I had Michael Chickless. Um, in mind, as well as a wrestler who has passed away, uh, King Kong Bundy. So I'm going to go with King Kong Bundy. Um, and please Google him, because he, like uh, George the Animal Steel, looks a lot like uh, Tor. Um, Vampira. Um, uh, I'm st- okay. I, two people in mind as well. Uh, there's a cosplayer by the name of Crystal Gra- uh, Graziano. Um, who I thought of, but I'm going to go with the, uh, I guess, she's a burlesque artist, uh, Dita Von Teese. Um, just mm. seemed like a good fit, both sort of, uh, I guess, spiritually and also for the look. I thought she could pull off a really good vampira. Mm. Or vampira, yeah. And the old man. Old mm. man, I just thought because it would be great for a cameo, Stanley. And also, if you know, you could just use existing footage. You could do, you could pull a, an Ed Wood, and you know, it's not a matter of you know we can do whatever. We're just going to use existing footage of Stanley to throw in there. That's me. I'm at, reading I'm the newspaper
1: down. was a cameo. Remember, one of the Stanley cameos was him reading a newspaper in one of the films.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And remember, Ed Wood shows up, I think, in Plan Nine
2: as a guy reading a newspaper. There you go. That works. Okay. Shane, what do you have for us?
3: All right. Um, So I, I again, cheated for the bottom three. Uh, (gasps) It's uh, for Inspector Clay, uh, George the Animal Steel, because I think he nailed it, honestly. He did. Um, And for the old man, uh, Martin Landau, because he won an Oscar. I mean, you're not going to get that. (laughs) Uh, And I I did make a change for Vampyra, I believe. Tim Burton was dating the young lady who played Vampira in Ed Wood. Mm. So, but I'm going to switch that to Helena Bonham Carter, who I think he's still married to. And anyway, they were married at some point.
2: Yeah. And
3: she's a much better actress. She's a great actress, and I think she could bring a lot to the role.
2: I think it'd be really hilarious to have somebody like Helen Mirren in there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. uh, as, as Vampira too. Because I love the story that there was dialogue written uh, for the vampire girl, but vampire refused to read it because it was so lame. Right. She said she looked at it and she said, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so she just walks around yeah. quietly for the rest of the film. Oh, and by the way, I need to say before, so we don't wrap this up without... Uh, me saying this. I love the resurrection scene of Tor Johnson. That shot is freaking creepy. You know, like as a standalone shot um, I accidentally paused on it as I was making a note and and it freaked me out having to look at that shot for too long. Um, The lighting is really great. The way Mm. they throw, throw a light into the, into the tomb, not tomb, just into the ground, the grave. And and as he rises, um, anyway, I love that shot. Yeah. Well, there
1: are a few shots in the film that are just like fabulous. You know, you think of The Exorcist, and you think yeah. of the guy of the of the priest with the with the, uh, the 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 handbag thing that he's holding outside the house, and how fantastic a moment visually that is. When I think of Plan Nine, I think of Tor Johnson coming out of that grave, and also when he's carrying Mona McKinnon in the graveyard, and just the look, how big this guy is, his, fe- his ghoulish face was just perfect.
2: Yeah. Um, By the way, um, just this week I watched the, uh, the new Conjuring film, we were speaking of The Conjuring a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. um, in which they do a, I think, two back-to-back shots, which is, they're totally doing a hat tip to the exorcist and the arrival of Father oh. Marin uh, at the, the Georgetown house. Um, like they do a shot for shot thing back to back in, in the yeah. film. Yeah. Oh, did you see it? Nice. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where are we off? I've not seen it yet. Okay.
1: Uh, I have to do my version of the three. I have okay. Peter Cushing as Inspector Daniel Clay uh, his, from The Curse of Frankenstein. From Fran Pier, I have Adrian Barbeau from the Escape from New York. As Vampira, and I have okay. Bella Lugosi. Um, uh, I think he would be perfect for that. And I've, the Bella Lugosi, Lugosi I'm picking from was his role in Plan 9 from Outer Space. So that's cheating a bit, also. But we're all a bunch of cheaters. So yeah. Um. I have Bella Lugosi. We're stupid. Stupid. Sorry, Martin Land. Martin. <laughs> 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 we're all going to be see? stupid you in see? the future. Okay, now outside the box. We should and Troy, what do you got for you? Do you have a specific theme or a
2: Um, um yes, I went I wanted to go with the um uh the all child version sort of like was that movie called Bugsy?
3: Uh oh yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, so I went with sort of like the Bugsy version. Um so I I so <laughs> the, my lead off position there Criswell was Urkel. Jaleel White. I thought he would be pretty hilarious reading the uh, the, uh, the the dialogue. Yeah.
3: Like that.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Jeff Trent. Jeff Trent I had as a young Ronnie Howard from the Andy Griffith Show. <laughs> and uh, Paula Trent, I had uh, uh, Cindy Brady from the Brady Bunch, Susan Olson, as Paula Trent.
3: Uh, Yeah, so I went with the obvious for my Outside the Box, and the uh, theme was the characters of Bewitched, uh, obviously. So uh, in the Criswell role, who else but Samantha, uh, because she is all-seeing and Mm. all-knowing. For uh, Jeff and Paula Trent, I, of course, went with the people who live next door to something crazy, which is (laughs) Abner and Gladys Kravitz.
2: Yeah, baby. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is why we have you on the show. <laughs> these are these are the insights we want. This is good.
1: Uh, I went a bit nutty.
2: No, on my one. That's that seems not yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. How okay, nutty? So
1: what I did mm-hmm. was, well, there were a number of the Hunchback of Notre Dame or Notre Dame movies back from the nineteen twenty three up till the uh, nineteen thirty nine. A 1950, uh, 1956 version, a 1997 um, one, and a 1982. 1997 one was a Disney one where they obviously was animated and did, did voices. So what I have is for Chris Well, I have Lon Chaney from The Hunchback of Notre Dame from 1923. Jeff Trent would be Sir Anthony Hopkins from The Hunchback of Notre Dame from 1982, and Paula Trent would be Maureen O'Hara from The Hunchback of Notre Dame, 1939.
2: Wow, that that hurts my head. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's almost as obscure as doing uh, quarterbacks from uh, Notre Dame. <laughs> okay, oh. let's see. Uh, okay, so I'm on to – and. By the way, if you are still listening, this really is a podcast um the uh the ruler in our out of the box category for me um I had spanky mcfarlane as as the ruler, although I was torn i was thinking about buckwheat but i I went with uh the ruler uh- sp- sorry spanky McFarlane as the ruler uh as eros um I went with Carl Switzer, Alpha, Alfalfa, with his Alfalfa, back into the juice again. Alfalfa from Our Gang, AKA Little Rascals. Which came first, by the way? And why was there a, a, different names for that? Any idea?
3: Our Gang was first. And I, I'm not really sure why it changed, but I feel like there was a slight difference. Like the cast kept changing, obviously.
2: And yeah, maybe it was that whole. Uh, when it went into syndication, you know, it was that whole anti-crime thing of the 50s of the uh, seduction of the innocents. We can't call it our gang. That sounds like, you know, we're
3: going to pop true. you one.
2: Um, so, yeah, Carl Switzer Alfalfa, who I always love seeing in It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and Tana, of course, it has to be Darla. So I went with Darla Hood as, uh, as my my child version of Tana.
3: Okay, um well continuing my uh Bewitched cast, the ruler uh, of course would be Dr. Bombay uh, <laughs> and uh Era that's beautiful Tana are uh Uncle Arthur and Aunt Clara. The uh Bachelor Uncle Arthur uh and um Bumbling Aunt Clara
2: Jesus I want to see this movie <laughs> This this must be possible to do with with uh, Fate, CGI yeah. and whatnot. It must be. How many seasons of Bewitched was there? Do you like roughly? Do you know?
3: There's a lot. I think like there's there, was eight at least.
2: There must be 97 salvageable, oh, editab- editable minutes that we could throw together a, a Plan Nine dubbed version. righty.
1: Yeah, it looks like Bewitched ran from 64 to 70. Two, uh, this is of course Elizabeth Montgomery um, it says 254 episodes
3: tremendous amount of that and
1: Agnes Moorhead was in all 254 episodes really I did not episodes. know that like Pandora.
2: wow I always hated uh, Larry Tate though there was something about Larry Tate that just I wanted him to have a heart attack on, <laughs> on screen like I wanted it to be like a Madman episode or something you know where instead of being um um. Oh my God, Roger, Roger, yeah, yeah. who had, who had a heart attack? Because they both had the white hair, right? So when I'd go back, I was like, Oh, please, maybe, maybe Larry Tate will have a, a heart attack, and we'll just bring somebody. Because nobody cares, right? If you can change Dick Sargent and Dick York, you could clearly change. You know who would have made a good uh, um, Larry? Would have been Ruben Kincaid
3: Oh yeah, he would have been great.
2: Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> Where where are we going, David? Sorry.
1: I think I'm probably on the ruler Aerosentanics. I don't think I've done my one yet. And again, these are all from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. (laughs) Um, I've got the ruler is Kevin Kline from the Hunchback of Notre Dame from 1996. Uh, Tom Hulse, uh, who was, I guess, famous in in, um, Amadeus. Yeah, um, he was in the Hunchback. He would be play Eros. But he was from the Hunchback of Notre Dame from 1996, and from the animated 1997 when I have Salma Hayek, uh, who was uh, a voice in um, the uh, Hunchback from 97, the
2: Disney film. She would be Tana. I love that you are defining out out of the box. Like that, you know, they how they have that joke about uh, when you look it up in the dictionary and you see so and so's face. They should just have David Clink's <laughs> David Clink's casting for <laughs> for Plan Nine from Outer Space. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so it's hard to it- do
1: this because there's such a large cast. I, I can't pick the, like, the Rat Patrol because there's like four guys in the Rat Patrol and you've got nine characters. So it's <laughs> yeah. sort of hard to do that. But with a larger thing like Brady Bunch and stuff like that, one could do something.
2: Yeah. Uh, so is this me doing the final three here for, for me? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I think when oh, we and had- what's weird, Troy, if I could just jump in is I had Michael Chiklis at one point as Inspector Daniel Clay. That was what I originally had down before I changed how I was oh, going nice. to put stuff down because he's per- from The Shield. Not, not, of course, from that that earlier series where he had hair and he was a commish, but, of right. course, The
2: Shield um, um, character. But go yeah, ahead, sorry. Yeah, he, he would be good. Um, I may have to do our last segment here at, in double time. <laughs> so It will sound like chipmunks just to <laughs> put the whole episode in. Okay, so... Finally, and for my outside of the box for Inspector Daniel Clay, Vampira, Pyra, and the Old Man, I have Clint Howard as Inspector Clay. Perfect. Clint Howard and his wow. massive head, massive, <laughs> massive head. Um,
3: his voice is dubbed over, like in that Star Trek.
2: <laughs> yeah. And as vampire girl, I have Joni Shortcake Cunningham, Aaron Moran, and and like the youngest, like season one, right? Shortcake, not well Chuck is still in the house, basically. That that's the uh, that's the Joni I want. That sounds really wrong in a very <laughs> weird way. <laughs> oh my god, I don't have. Hold on, I must have an old man. Where why don't I have an old man? Um, I I don't have it. Oh, I know, I know who it is. Oh, I didn't write it down though. It's um, Walter Matthau. No. Walter Matthau from Bad News Bears as as the old man. The only <laughs> adult
3: in the cast. And he'll
2: wear the baseball cap too.
3: And he can get replaced with Jack Klegman.
2: Yeah, that's right.
3: Okay, um, now for mine. Uh, continuing. Uh, Inspector Clay is the reviled Larry Tate um, (laughs) Mainly because I couldn't think of anywhere else To put him in the cast Uh, Vampyra is Endora, Which uh, she would say the lines And she would say them very well Uh, And of course The entire linchpin of this joke Is that the old man Is played by Dick York And then when he dies And gets replaced he is played by Dick Sargent So it's the two dicks (laughs)
2: that's great have... that is great that's the genius of the whole thing for a second i thought you were going to say tabitha was going to be the old man <laughs> but uh but um, i would and again sorry to say even to use the phrase but the younger the better um i like <laughs> and i can't believe i'm going to say it but i it love funny i if, love i love yes. the two i love the two dicks
3: <laughs> what's better than one dick Two
2: dicks. you can't yeah and yeah, sergeant york yeah, you
1: can't beat two dicks <laughs> Sergeant York, oh no! <laughs> oh, sorry, David, go um, ahead. Yeah. I love that film, Sergeant York. But, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that was absolutely brilliant. Uh, and actually, that no one even noticed that the switch. But just kidding. Back in the sixties. But um, okay, what I have, and again, again, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. I've got Mandy Patinkin for for Inspector Daniel Clay, uh, Gina Lola Brigida, and this is Gina Lola Brigida from 1956 um, as Vampire.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, so I'll just say that one more time. That's Gina Lola Brigida <laughs> as um, Vampira <laughs> because she was quite something back in the day. And yeah. Charles Lawton as the old man. Uh, he was a hunchback in 1939, but I think Charles Lawton would be a good uh, old man. Well, I
2: love that you committed to the, uh, the theme there, David.
3: That is, that is commitment. Well, I
2: might be committed. That's one. Yes. Yeah. I, I should be committed after that, <laughs> those
1: choices, but hopefully next time we do this, we won't have nine things. Like whatever our next show is, we're not going to have nine to do because this was, no. but that's the movie. That's, <laughs> that's, that's plan the nine from outer space.
2: I just wanted to say before we segue too much towards the end, because we're getting there, um, that, um, I had mentioned a while ago that I can always make a Beatles connection to whatever film we're talking about. And I realized as I was watching it, that plan nine is like the Beatles, 1994 free as a bird as the song was created using a demo of of John Lennon after he had passed away. So, so like Ed Wood, the Beatles and Ed Wood are the same Is essentially what I'm saying.
1: Basically. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know I think we're all I think we're all high on on uh, Tranya which was the drink that Clint Howard as Clint Howard as Baylock offered um William Shatner who was playing Kirk at the time in that um uh classic uh, uh Star Trek episode
2: I wish uh, I could do the Blaylock. So, yeah, laugh Yeah sure <laughs> or whatever it is
1: yeah <laughs> Yes uh, that was a great uh, yeah Baylock was always <laughs> um, uh, that was good. But anyways, let's, uh, the final question basically for Shandle is uh, just again about plan nine from outer space. Is there anything that you may have picked up just in the last five or 10 years about plan nine that you may not have known before that kind of surprised you or something that you may have recently learned about?
3: Um. Well, I, I haven't Uh, picked up, two. I feel like I did all. I sort of uh, top-loaded all my study of Plan 9 as a teenager but uh, recently, as in today, when I was uh, skimming over the Wikipedia in advance of this uh, I did learn that those model flying saucers that they used had little green aliens inside so that's kind of cool, I would have liked to have seen those guys because they were an actual, just a model kit that they, they used
2: you know in some of the dissing of the film there's uh, a lot that's not true and one of them is that you know they used pie plates or they used uh hubcaps but they actually did use a, a store uh model kit so that's yeah, kind of cool that, that we both had had the same thing there uh is there anything uh you wanted to share with with the world at large Cheryl sorry Chandler <laughs> with uh you know, what you're working on or any sort of uh, thing you'd like to draw our attention to? Well,
3: um, as mentioned in the, uh, my biography, I have my website, mrkitty.org, uh, which has uh, not all my comics, but it has a good deal of my comics on there, as well as Stupid Comics. It's got um, just various and sundry entertainments uh, by myself and my husband, David Merrill. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, um, be sure to disable ad blocker, I guess. (laughs) But that's, that's my thing.
2: Did you have any final thoughts, David?
1: Um, no, I mean, I, I this is neat because we decided to do this episode. I, I'd heard about Plan 9 and had seen little clips and so on, but I'd never seen the film. This table, one thing we didn't get into, uh, which is too bad, but it's, it's okay, is that table read that was done this year, 2021, that had a bunch of comedians doing the actual table read. It's just when you just read the script, but some of them were sort of dressed up a bit. It was all by Zoom. And there were some that people like Bob Cat Goldthwaite and Bob Odenkirk and a number of other people. And it was just such a good thing mm-hmm. that they did. It was just wonderful. So if anyone can find what is called the table read for Plan Nine from Outer Space. Um Uh, it's definitely worth uh, seeing, but I think that's basically it for our plan nine from outer space episode.
2: Yeah, we will see. And I wanted to thank you very much again, Chandel for, for coming by. Um, It was as much fun as uh, I was really hoping for. So, so thanks a lot.
3: Thank you. It was a lot of fun.
2: Uh, And I want to finish on my, my end with um, a wise Elizabethan scribe once wrote beauty is bought by the judgment of the eye. Truly. My mind's eye judges Plan Nine from outer space to be a spectacular beauty indeed. Can you prove that it is not? <laughs> so that's
1: our Plan Nine from from outer space episode. See you all for our next podcast episode of Two Old farts, dot dot dot. Talk sci
2: fi. <laughs>
0: My friend, you have seen this incident based on sworn testimony. Can you prove that it didn't happen? Perhaps on your way home, someone will pass you in the dark, and you will never know it, for they will be from outer space. Many scientists believe that another world is watching us this moment. We once laughed at the horseless carriage, the airplane, the telephone, the electric light. Vitamins, radio, and even television. And now some of us laugh at outer space. God help us in the future.